a bit of break, but I'm good now. I appreciate sure. it. It was a good break. Did you learn something? Uh, just to trust in the world with my emotions, thoughts, and etc. And, and not allowing myself to, like, just basically uh, shout out to Ken. Actually, he uh, said that it's let, let your, not letting yourself go, but basically, uh, man, something along the lines of that. Just basically, basically trust it in the world and, and like Proverbs say, not leading on your own understanding. Long story short, it's I actually have found a bit of healing and a bit of, of peace of sound mind and also conviction today. I actually was reading through the book of Hebrews and something stood out to me. It's um don't be stubborn, but I was reading through the what's the E R V was easy to read version. But me I been reading with different trans in different translation different translations to get like different perspectives. And so um one of the verse that stood out to me is uh, don't be stubborn. Um because Israel like hardened hardened their hearts for forty days like in the word that it speaks to them of like forty days or something like that. And so that really convicted me and it's really instilled more the reverence of God in me in the sense that hey, it's crucial to listen and obey the Lord because that's literally what's best for me. Uh, it's to obey Him and to do what what He says, and not not do stupid stuff like like lean on my own flesh. And to be honest, even when it comes to lust, I tend to dwell on my own emotions, and that drops me down um like paths of doubt and. Whatnot, and so just re reading Hebrews in a different version uh, really helped me give a different perspective, and also say like, "Hey, think of, like fix your mind on Christ and obey God, because uh, because uh, it's yeah, it's what's best for you, really." But yeah, that's that's about it, really. I love it. Christian, did you invite me six? Or was that John? I did. I invited me six already. He's cool. recording. All right. So you, uh, you're you on it. Do you want to pray for us? Sure. I'd love that. Thanks for sharing okay. your little testimony, by the way, and what God's doing. Of course. I appreciate it. I hope... Um, not that, not just that blesses y'all, but also this, this study blesses everyone on here too. All right, let's get it. Father Yahweh, I thank you for continually being in our lives. I thank you for your fresh breath of air that is in our lungs. I thank you for your grace of mercy that is upon each and every one of our lives. Lord Yeshua, I thank you for your salvation, for your death and resurrection death and resurrection on the cross for our sins Lord forgive us for any rebellion that we have we have had against you in the innocence that we have committed against you Lord continue to strengthen strengthen and 
well, melt and mold us into the people that you want us. No, I want us. I want you want us to be and to become. Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit into this hall and also outside the hall, offline. For, and we ask that you will be there for those who cannot be there as be here as well. And yeah, we ask that you would guide and lead this study word through your Holy Spirit, and we give you all the praise and honor. Amen. Amen. If you hear lasers blasting in the background, it's my son on the trampoline with his new robot. But we're in Hebrews chapter um, one. I don't remember if we officially finished the chapter, but even if we did, I want to back it up to verse 13. So Hebrews 1.13, whether or not we finished it, DK, it's good to see you, buddy. I haven't seen you in months, probably years now. What are you, 45 years old? You got three kids? All right, Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse, let's just read the whole chapter. It says, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you, or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and you've hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And another statement about the sun is you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, and like a robe, you will roll them up like a garment. They'll be changed, but you are the same. Your years will have no end. To which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? And then, it's a rhetorical question, the answer is yes, yes. James is reminding me uh, that we left off on verse 10, so I'm going to take his word for it and we'll back it up officially to verse 10. If you guys are new, um, just go ahead and uh, let us know in the chat, the text thread, if you have a question or a comment or an insight. Uh, we'd love to hear that. Just put your hand up or let us know that you'd like to share. <clears throat> and we will go ahead and make sure we get to everyone in an orderly fashion. All right, so we will back it up to Hebrews 1, verse 10, which is where we are. I'm all mixed up because uh, I'm going through Hebrews on, on YouTube as well slowly. So forgive me. Um, Hebrews 1, 10 says, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. 
and the heavens are the work of your hands. I love that. Um, let me get my actual Bible because I'm using the Bible app. I want to see what verse is being read, what Old Testament passage he's referencing. Um, but if anyone has anything to add or share, questions, you know, let us know so I'm not the only one talking just while I grab my Bible. Hold on one sec, buds. I'll be right back. Joshua has something. Good evening, Joshua. Good evening. Um, I'm happy to be here uh, with everyone. It's a good day to be alive. And it's a good day to know Jesus. Hang on just a sec. I'm sorry. Um, so the thing that really spoke to me, uh, and I feel qualified to share it because verse 10 starts with and. So I'm going to go back to verse 9. It says, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Uh, it's just so very important. This is the one who, to go back to verse 10, laid the foundation of the earth. The heavens and the earth are the work of his hands. He, he made any, everything before anything ever was. He was, and he thought of us, and he made us, and he made us all with a purpose. And um, lots of people are openly affirming, and I just want to say I'm openly affirming of everyone who hates lawlessness. Um, you're welcome here, because I do. I, I hate lawlessness, and I hate lawlessness because I love people. And I know what lawlessness does to people. It hurts people. And that's why I love righteousness. And that's the fruit of our Lord working in us. When we feel that, it's... Um, I don't know. It's, it's hard to see the things that are happening around us in the world. Not to get too heavy. Too early on in it, but um, that hate for lawlessness um, brings a joy because even though the world is the way it is right now, we know how the story ends. And righteousness is not just being right because that would just, I mean, that's no fun, but righteousness makes wrong things right. And that's what's so beautiful about it. And that's what the person who laid the foundation of the earth is going to do. He's going to, there's going to be a better earth. And we, we can set our eyes on what's ahead. And meanwhile, while we're here, um, serve him. And no, he's above, he's above everything. So there are all these other angels and everything like that. And, when this was being written, uh, a lot of the people that this was being written to, they held angels in high esteem. And so he's trying to say, listen, yeah, angels are great, but they were made for the purpose of serving those who will 
inherit salvation. Like, it's mind-blowing to me. I don't know where I was going with that, but um, that's what I wanted to share. So, praise God, and thank you for listening to me. Hey, I, I can piece your thoughts together just fine. You did great. I think, um, well, I want to make sure no one else is waiting to talk before I do. So, um, I only see Joshua's hand. Can someone keep track of hands as they show up for me in case I miss them? Um, you did connect something that is worth noting. And um, it's the throne of God established on righteousness which is not just an approval of what's right, but a hatred of what is wrong, right? The, to fear the Lord is to actually hate evil, not just to like um, turn a blind eye or tolerate, but to actually have a righteous and godly hatred for that which destroys God's creation and people, which is evil, right? And that, that throne, that way by which Jesus rules is going to be the um uh the best way i can say it it's it's going to be the the heartbeat of the new creation um is righteousness reigns wickedness is done away with and so as we get to verse um 10 when he says you you laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning part of that includes in righteousness um establishing the earth for righteousness and not for wickedness. Uh, but of course, sin came into God's earth, God's good creation, uh, through human beings' free will and rebellion, right? And so that's why the new creation is coming. That's why there's going to be um, the earth and the heavens as of right now are going to wear out because they're tainted and corrupted with the very wickedness Jesus opposed. So if he's going to reign, in perfect righteousness, then the new creation has to fit that. And that's exactly why new heavens and new earth have to be founded um, the same way he founded the earth in the beginning and the heavens. But this time it, it'll be different. And and notice the the focus is still, you know, on the fact that Jesus is better than angels, all spiritual beings. No one else laid the foundation of of creation but Jesus, right? And then the Father's there, and no angel has that unique um, status. And so Jesus is better than them. But at the same time, as the author's addressing that, he's um, making a note about what's, what we should expect. New creation. New creation is coming. And the fact that he has no end. DK, you don't have to raise your hand. I know you got a hand. Go ahead. All right. Um, one thing I really liked about Hebrews 1 is the fact that it, while it is talking to, well, as you can tell, the Hebrews, because it's named the book of Hebrews, <clears throat> the one thing I think it just makes me so like excited and joyful is because like <clears throat> though it's talking about the supremacy of the son, he's not just someone who is the like a son of God or some kind of God that's lesser than the father, because, you know, in his human form. Being in, a, uh, in the fashion of a servant, he does, you know, speak in the in the terms of being lower than the father. And. Excuse me. 
And especially because, like, everything that is mentioned about Christ in this um, chapter, especially on verses 10 through 11 and 12, the fact that he never changes and everything uh, about this just makes him in this likeness to the Father and even of the Spirit. It makes this um, proclamation of the gospel and even the divinity of Christ that much more powerful. And um, that's all I really had to say about that, honestly. In context, you're right that the supremacy of the Son is laced all throughout Hebrews. Chapter 1 is just this huge uh, statement about the Son being supreme. And um, it's not just that he's better than angels and you're like, that's cool. No, he's going to outlast the very creation as we know it. Because he was there in the beginning to form it all. And so since he pre-exists creation, he can outlast creation. And so when heaven and earth reach their uh, their end, the expiration date, Jesus will be there to bring in new creation. Uh, and that will be established in righteousness and no, no wickedness. Um, and that's connected to him being anointed. So it, we got to kind of almost break out a piece of paper and have these ideas right in front of us, like the Jesus being anointed, Jesus ruling the heavens and the earth, wearing out him, establishing new creation, the new heavens and new earth. All these ideas go together. Um, and so it's beautiful, but does anyone else have thoughts, questions um, before we move on to verse um, 11? No. Okay. So, after he says, um, and I love how Jesus is addressed as Lord. Right after in verse 8, he's addressed as God by the Father. Um, he laid the earth, the heavens are the work of his hands, the same hands that rule in righteousness. It says, they will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they'll be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. So it's not just that Jesus is there at the end of it. It's that he's the same. There's no need for him to improve or change. There's no way he can get better. Who he is now is who he's always been and who he will always be. And that's very different than the material world that we know that is subject to change and things are seem to be declining. My dog is insane. Don't jump on the trampoline, Teddy. Gosh darn it. Do not go on that trampoline. Anyone else? No? All right. We'll just keep reading until you guys have thoughts. Fine. It's cool. Verse 13, the continuing um, main point, Jesus is better than angels. He says, to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand? This is, you know, the author saying, when did the father ever? What are you barking about? What do you see? The author's saying, when did the Father ever tell angels, hey, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? The answer is uh, none. No angels have ever received that. He's never done that. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve, serving God firstly, uh, for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? 
Man. It is good. There's a lot to think about. Jesus at the right hand. Angels sent out to serve. You know that contrast? The one who sits on the throne commanding the angels and then the angels who are being dispatched. There's you know, a... Go ahead. The one that I... When, oh my goodness. Uh, the one thing that you said is like the angels are created to serve. Yes, we all know that Jesus was not created. However, the purpose of God's angels is to serve him. So I the one thing that it's processing through my mind at the moment is how does that correlate to like Jesus came down on um came down on earth and dwelt among among us and put on flesh. And he was the living word that was walking and breathing and talking and all of that stuff. And so he put set a perfect example of how we how being a servant of the Lord or being servants or serve others in a way that it's in a godly manner. So I want to ask that how is the purpose of God's angels being servants and serving him to the purpose that we have in Christ that it's essentially the same that we are called to serve and worship him here on earth. Wait, say that again? That last part? Uh, rats. Um, how is it like how God, like the angels of God is created to serve to serve God, right? And so Jesus in the same manner as he, yes, he, I know that he's not created, but he you know, dwelt among or dwelt on earth and serve, I guess, put on the servanthood of uh nabbit, my brain's scrambled scrambled, scrambled. Um uh I think what I'm trying to say is how that the angels um who serve God accordingly to Christ's purpose here on earth. Um, how does those still correlate with each other in meaning of like our purpose is to serve and worship him, if that makes any sense. So correct correct me if I'm if I'm misunderstanding. Um our purpose is to serve and worship and um delight in God and you're saying that is connected to the ser- the angels being servants of God and it's connected to Jesus being on the throne is that kind of what you're saying or am I missing it uh, I think what I'm trying to say I think what I'm trying to ask is like like um uh, 
honestly, I think a yes and no. Maybe maybe somebody else can uh, be able to like uh uh flourish that question out a bit more. Sorry about that. No, you're good. It, I'm just not understanding yet, but I will. Bear with me. Um, I was just going through the chat and seeing what people are saying. Um, Jesus here uh, at the right hand is uniquely different from every other, every spiritual being that exists because he's in a category that's completely distinct from creation. Um, he's uncreated. He's preexisted. He preexists, you know, ev everything that uh, was created, right? He's preeminent. He's supreme. He's eternally existent. He has no beginning and no end. And and then we have the angels here, ministering spirits. But look at who they're actually uh, sent out to um, aid or benefit. I won't say serve because that can get people tripped up. But I will say they serve God by being an aid to certain people. And um, it's specifically for those who are to inherit salvation, the children of God. Um, and we've seen... In chapter one, someone inheriting something already. So it makes sense that he would um, bring this idea up of inheriting salvation. He's already mentioned how Jesus is the appointed heir of all things in verse two. So he's the rightful heir, the, the one who inherits right what, it, what is rightfully his from the Father. And that's why he can say in verse 14, that there are people who will inherit salvation because of the ultimate firstborn's inheritance being extended to them, right? So the, these ministering spirits, angels, are in so many ways less than Jesus, right? Um, because he's preeminent and preexists them, and but also it's that he's the one sending them, dispatching them to serve, and we're actually the ones being benefited. It seems as though God sends angels only to care for his own um every other time correct me if i'm wrong but any other time uh spiritual beings angels are sent uh to the wicked to um, the sinners and the unrighteous it's judgment it's some kind of consequence but for the people of god um it's it's for our benefit that they're dispatched so it's really cool you know that god actually um, does that for us? Yeah, that there's ministering spirits. Teddy, hey, I gotta go handle my dog. Unfortunately, you destroy someone. Any other thoughts? Teddy bear, come on. Just when we're reading that passage, last couple of verses, I I just had a connection with um, the Son of Man. And one seated at, you know, in the ancient of days, saying in Daniel 7, one seated at the right hand of the Father. Sort of like a, a fulfillment, you know, and the uniqueness of, I guess, going back to the original purpose of God and man together and his spirit actually being with man. And I guess that, that last passage there where he's, he's saying he's seated, seated at the right hand of the Father, just connected the Son of Man and I guess the inheritance that is being promised to all. Um, for those who are in Christ and that salvation you see in the last last part of that verse there. It's just it was um the connection that we're going to be brought into that, you know, is um 
you know, which is that high authority that only has been come because, because of Jesus, because of everything he did. And it was going to be God and man combined, you know, as he'd always planned from the beginning. God, you know, to make his dwelling place with us. And what a privilege and blessing that we've been, been given. And so, therefore, all these other idols and these other gods or these other things that people have served or angels to the Hebrews there that we've referenced, I guess, it's just there's nothing other higher than this. And the great clue is just because of just because of God's plan and His love for His for humanity and what He chose to what to make us for an inheritance and a family He's creating. It's almost like the fulfillment, the first fruit of that, has begun. And it's just such a it's such a, a grand master plan being and of His will being done on earth in heaven as it is in heaven. It's part I want to add there, I guess. Yeah, yeah it is a grand master plan. It's a plan that no one and no collection of minds could ever have come up with except the divine um, omniscient one who knows all. He alone can come up with that, this plan that is so perfect. Um, Hebrews, I know there's probably going to be some, as people join the community, there are going to be people who hold to different views about Jesus, but Hebrews specifically takes... Um, goes to quite a bit of length to let you know that Jesus is no mere created being. He's not created. He's not merely a human that, you know, began to exist in the womb of Mary. He is, um, again, the one who's laying the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of his hands. His throne is forever. He's alongside the Father. He lays aside his glory. So this is, it's interesting that in a, in a letter uh, that is supposed to encourage Jews not to go back to what is fading, the, the first, the introduction, you know, the introductory chapter of the letter is all about, hey, Jesus is way better. And that's supposed to somehow, you know, encourage, um, you know, people to not go back or find, look for anything as if there's another Messiah or another way. He's the only way, you know. And it's um, very important that we see Jesus as he is um, in order to have the right amount of courage to do what he's called us to, to live holy and such. So, yes. Uh, Let's just go into chapter two, unless there's any questions regarding chapter one. Um, Hang on to the the main point. Don't, Don't let go yet. I know there's a chapter separation right there. Um, and, and I agree with the chapter separation, but that doesn't mean we're completely leaving behind the argument that Jesus is better than angels. All the author is about to do now is he's going to explain that in a different way, elaborate on that by hitting pause and addressing a different topic for now. Okay. But he's not completely, um, you know, leaving the idea that Jesus is better than angels as we get to chapter two. Because it's going to look like that. It's going to look like, oh, a brand new idea. Actually, no, it's completely related. And it has a lot to do with what he's been saying. So in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore, and that's how we know these verses are connected, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just Retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? 
and then he'll go on to talk about this great salvation. But we'll kind of park it right there, verse 1, 2, and then half of verse 3. Um, and remember who the author is writing to. There's a specific intended audience. The original audience seems to um, be mainly uh, Jewish. That's at, that's at least what we can establish. Whether or not they're, they're believers or on the precipice or there's a mix, um, we'll, we'll find out as we keep reading. But um, there's a call on the audience and the reader to pay attention to or to not neglect the great salvation that they've heard. Um, because, and then he's going to go on in verse two to explain why. So any thoughts already? Questions? Uh, anything you want to note? Um, well, before I, I give my thought, it won't be long. Uh, are you on like the PC to raise your hand or something? Because no, uh, in the in the chat, do you see the you see the embedded chat? You can just use a hand emoji. Okay, that that's perfect. Or just put raise hand and and we'll know that you want to speak. Some people will just if there's no one lined up, they'll just jump on the mic and go, "Hey, can I talk?" So okay, Whatever. that's fine. So for verse one. Um, the one scripture that comes into mind when I read that is um, Galatians 1.8, where Paul talks about if any angel or another man preach another gospel unto you, let them be accursed. Um, because any other gospel besides the one that um, the disciples and even Paul and the other, like you, can, you can say disciples, have preached that pretty much your faith is going to be placed in something else. and that something else cannot save you besides christ alone um he's the only one who is the one who died for us and he's the only one who can redeem us or he is the only real person or let's say real deity that has done these things for us in order to receive our salvation and so um yeah that's all i had to say for that good stuff because he does say that, even if an angel comes, and that seems to have happened at least <laughs> with Joseph Smith, all name names, um, seems to be a, a mix-up. But that's the idea here, is to pay a close attention to what you've heard, otherwise you'll be uh, open to deception and vulnerable to to lies um but you know what what comes to mind is listen to the way he describes the audience so far um they've heard a message right it's their job to pay close attention to that message there's an opportunity for them to drift away from that message um this message is very serious it can be neglected and it's the message of such a great salvation that was validated by god as we'll see in verse three and four um, so at least the people who are being addressed in chapter two, um, I'm not, some people would disagree, but I'm not comfortable saying that he's addressing 
born-again believers who are in Christ, rather that there are people who will receive this letter who have heard, they're aware of, they know about this great salvation, but they have yet to actually believe and receive. Um, that's, at least according to the first three verses, what seems to the kind of people he's addressing so far. That's not to say they're the only people he'll address in this this letter, but as you'll see, the, within the main, whoever's going to read this letter, there's almost like uh, pockets of subgroups that he'll address along the way. So, um, just hold on to that. In verse 2, uh, he says, there's a message that was declared by angels. So remember how I said, don't, uh, don't forget the, the comparison being drawn between Jesus and angels, how he's better. Well, he's, he's bringing angels right back into it. In verse two, you're like, how does, how do angels fit into this, this message that I'm tempted to, you know, uh, drift away from? Well, let's go back. There was a message that was declared by angels. It proved to be reliable. And let's just look at the description of this message. It proved to be reliable. Every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, which seems to be the way by which that message was validated or proven. And then verse three, he's going to shift right back to the audience and the modern message of salvation. And he goes, look, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard while God bore witness himself by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Spirit distributed according to his will. So in verse two, there's a different message in mind. Uh, which seems to be, as we'll get to the rest of Hebrews, he's, he's referencing uh, the Mosaic law, the law that was given, handed down by you know God to Moses, to the people of Israel. That message, God validated with very clear consequences against rebellion and sin, a very clear judgment that would come upon people who rebelled against that law. So it, it was stamped with his divine authority. And then in the same way, in verse 3, the message that the, the, you know, the, the, the audience is tempted to neglect, there, there's that same kind of idea where there's consequences there too. We've seen a pattern with God. When he gives a message, there's consequences for disobeying and rebelling against that message, right? Um, so any thoughts, questions so far? Y'all are quiet tonight. You know, Jason, what in, in reading Hebrews over the years, I think that the most fascinating aspect of Hebrews for me has always been the authorship. Like, who wrote the book? And why was it so important to keep the author mystery a mystery? And when you get to chapter 7, you know, with Melchizedek, Melchizedek, um, you know, again, like, where did he come from? Who is he? And uh -huh. so I love the idea of, Hebrews in terms of it being the book of faith, you know, and I believe the roll call of faith is in Hebrews as well. Um, but what do you think about that? What do you think about authorship and why it's such a mystery? Why do you think that Hebrews is such a mystery? I don't think I ever made that connection before. It's that there's two layers of mystery there, the authorship and, and this mysterious Melchizedek figure. That's really fascinating. Hebrews is shrouded in mystery. Um, and I, I don't know why the author's intentionally anonymous um, and why the early church did such a, a good job at making sure it, it, it stayed that way as it was passed along, though there was still a, um, you know, 
uh, unanimous agreement upon like recognized authority and such. And I'm sure even like within inner circles, there were people who like knew. Um, but why it's un- why it's anonymous? I can only think of um, possible persecution and and um, or maybe it's a collective effort. Maybe this was actually a group effort. It wasn't just one person. As that couldn't be uh, just the single author. Maybe it was um, a, a bunch of hands involved in this letter. Um, <clears throat> The fact that Melchizedek is a mysterious figure too makes you really wonder. Like, whoa, that is interesting. There's there's like a double element of mystery, which is which is cool. Um, and I don't know. I need to think on that a little more. You you caught me off guard, Mister Mark. Great question. Bam. I'm sorry. I Great. thought it was interesting. Thanks. Man, you must be at the gym with those kinds of you know insights happening. I'm not at the gym. I can't imagine how like brilliant you are with that that workout pump, um, Joshua. Go ahead. Uh, the thing I actually love about it being, you know, not knowing the author is, it's um, it still has the divine stamp of approval on it. Like, there's no question at all how divinely inspired this letter is. Uh, it's just the wisdom in it is amazing. It's it ties together the Old Testament and reveals all those shadows and brings them into the light, and you get to see the actual figure of the mystery of salvation come to life through this letter. But um, back to yeah, and then yeah, the the important thing is it's it's inspired by God for sure, and that's what I love about it. But back to verse um three, it makes me think of Second Corinthians, uh, verse six one and two, where Paul is writing. He says, um, he's urging them. Um, appeal. He says, "We appeal to you: do not receive the grace of God in vain." Or he says, "In a favorable," and he's quoting the Old Testament here. In a favorable time, I listened to you, and in, in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And again, back to <clears throat> verse one in. Hebrews, like, pay attention. It, it's so easy to start to drift away, to start to, like, fall into that lukewarmness and just lose your fire. Like, I'm thinking of a specific individual, like, a while back who they just had this fire, and you could, when you heard them read the Word of God, it was like, you could hear the reverence like in their voice and then it just went from that to like hearing like they're reading a children's book or something and it's like this is the living word of god and it 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 will light a fire inside of us and we're supposed to fan that flame you know and uh i i always 
start to feel it happen to me where I start to drift away where I and just like I don't ever 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 want to be just doing church like lord forbid that ever happen to any of us um I don't know about the whole being able to lose your salvation or not but there's going to be people who thought they were Christians and they're going to be locked out when the door shuts and that breaks my heart so yeah I just want to exhort and encourage don't don't drift away stay awake good exhortation what comes to mind is the parable of the sower the rocky soil that had some shallow reception of the word it it heard that heart heard and even had some degree of agreement with it but there was no root and um it was never tended to it actually the, in Matthew's gospel it says um uh no root it was scorched when the sun arose uh because it it didn't develop um a deep enough root there was no root that developed and then you know you parallel that with um the Bereans the Berean Jews in Acts uh they they have this initial reception of Paul's message so the gospel comes and and they're they're open to it they don't agree they don't believe right but they're open to it so they go back to the hebrew scriptures and they see if these things are so and by seeking to understand and seeking to you know um confirm the message as, as as to whether or not it's from god they do conclude yes this is from god they believe so there there's this in between stage of hearing um or i'll say it like this there's a step in between hearing and believing and and i do believe the step between hearing and believing sometimes it does involve uh a little bit of human effort to see if these things are so and i think the people in hebrews chapter 2 they are in that in between state we've heard um but they have yet to really come to messiah and believe and trust and 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 receive this message as if it's facts from god and sometimes there are people who will hear um and they never actually see if these things are so or tend to it or you know actually seek after the you know the god who's drawing them in and there's there's that gap that god is gracious to fill at times and woo us and draw us but man there does seem to be um a degree of human responsibility to first of all be open to the message not only you know figure out if it's true and and divinely authoritative but then to believe and trust in that message and um the at least in hebrews to the first two verses seems like these people have heard but have yet to believe that there there's the potential to neglect and ignore and never tend to you know the seed that was planted in order to effectively believe um and so i i'm with you josh those are um some great exhortations i have a question yeah so would you say that in the sense this hebrews 2 would also point because i know we're not there yet i'm like this is a way of heading so would you say that the hebrews 2 as of right here is that you're basically you know explaining 
would also kind of be um, a little bit of an explanation to the Hebrews 10, pretty much. Because I know that one verse in Hebrews 10, like I think it was verse 26, is one where a lot of people use as like uh, either a scare tactic or they read it and they get like very frightened. <clears throat> and so you're talking about people who, you know, they've heard of it, but they don't really accept it or accept it fully. They may have like, oh, yeah, I believe, but they don't really, you know, take full advantage of that and actually have that take root in their heart. And so I remember somewhere in Hebrews, it talks about people, those who like have tasted it, tasted the things of the spirit or of the gospel, but, but then it never really like stuck. So then they just went away. Pretty sure that's what exactly it was um, talking about, but yeah. In those in those warning passages, you have <clears throat> statements such as "these people trample underfoot the Son of God," which is to treat with contempt. You know, Jesus will say very similarly, not to throw uh, uh, pearls to swine, because they'll trample those pearls underfoot, right? So, that some wisdom that shouldn't be, you know, once you've interacted with someone long enough and you realize, oh, they're not open to this. Don't, don't, don't waste your wisdom and your time on that anymore. It's time to move on. And there are people who they, let's just take it like a street preacher, for example. Let's say I'm street preaching on the corner and there are hundreds of people walking by hearing the message and, and they're hearing the gospel, but they never do anything with it. They never actually seek to see if that's true or actually inwardly look at their own sinfulness and nature and, and consider heaven and eternity is written on their heart, but they don't actually like follow the, you know, the rabbit trail and see where it leads. They do nothing with it. It just, it just kind of falls to the wayside. That's, I believe, the kind of people that Joshua was mentioning where he said there will be people who <clears throat> they think God's going to welcome them into the kingdom. They think they know God. Um, but they actually neglected the message of the gospel their whole life while thinking they were safe. They thought believing was just agreeing when actually biblical faith is to trust in, rely on, lean on, uh, to, to throw oneself onto. That's very different than just agreeing with the morals of the Bible. And so I, I think it's, it's very sad that just like there are people in the letters to the Hebrews um, that are being addressed, there are people in our world who are um, falsely confident that they're getting into the kingdom. They're deceived because they think they, that agreeing with the morals of the Bible means that they trust in Jesus. And I will say agreeing with the morals of the Bible is a, is a step towards the Messiah, but that's not the same thing as believing in the Messiah. So um, to answer your question, DK, yeah, I I do believe those warning passages that are going to come in chapter 6 and chapter 10 are addressing the the very people right up front in this first warning in Hebrews chapter 2. You're going to get a lot of warnings, and it's on us to be uh, discerning and thoughtful and really read in context these warnings instead of like assuming these are for believers born again who like could possibly, you know, we need to read these things in context. Because I do not, I'm not convinced that the warnings are actually directed towards children of God, but rather those who are on the precipice, those who have done nothing with the message but are familiar with it, um, 
overly familiar, you know, actually, to the point that it breeds some kind of self-righteousness in them. I grew up in the church. Well, growing up in the church isn't the same as knowing God. So you got to choose to stay whom you're going to serve. That's just what I wanted to say about that. Um, it's related, though. We're not completely off topic. Uh, back to verse 3, it says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord. Look at the way this message is described. Like to, to, to really make this punch pack some some oomph to it. He's letting you know. Let me show you how serious this message is. It was declared by the Lord. It was attested to us by those who heard. While God Himself bore witness by signs, by wonders, by various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to His will. That's a lot of ways to uh, validate and approve of a message. God has done so much in making it very clear. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Any thoughts? (coughs) Questions? disagreements maybe not disagreements with like five minutes left but you can always write me and again remember frame this all up jesus is preeminent he's supreme he's better and this is still within the context of jesus is better than angels right because come verse five the angels are going to come back into conversation So the author is just addressing more of these side conversations as he's trucking along, making the point, Jesus is better than angels. But first I got to address this, the message and, and the fact that you can't drift away and you know all these things. Some people assume drifting away means you've arrived at something. And I don't think that's true at all. It can assume you're close to, it can you know mean you're close to something or heading towards something. It doesn't mean you have to have have something or arrive at it so don't get caught up in in the in the language and and um get afraid there should be a healthy trembling in fact today i had a conversation with someone who you know i I agree with him he was talking about how we should be afraid to sin like there should be a holy reverence of god um a fear of god that's appropriate respect adoration delight in like i'm i'm afraid that that i would do anything that would dishonor you I, that's a holy fear you know it's a healthy fear not a condemnation or shame but a i i don't want to do anything to to distance myself from you that's a that's a good fear there's some fears that are appropriate to have and i, I had to agree with him you know what <clears throat> that statement might startle someone and make them push back a little but i do believe fear of the lord is to hate evil which will involve a degree of I'm afraid to sin. It keeps me from doing it. Not because I'm afraid of going to hell, but because why in the world would I want to violate this the 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 friendship that I have with the living God? Just some thoughts. Since no one else is talking. Hello? Can you hear Hello? me? Yes, someone's talking. Uh, Who is this? Uh, this is Shauna. Hi, Shauna. 
Go ahead. Okay. I love the um, conversation about the fear of the Lord because um, I also think of it as um, being afraid of what you'll become outside of your relationship with him. So that's the way I kind of see it. It's like you're not afraid of him, but you're afraid of who you are away from him. You're afraid. It's like, and it's also a reverential fear. It's not um, how to dread. That's the word I'm looking for. Like frightened by him, but it's like you acknowledge his power. You acknowledge his holiness. You acknowledge that he is, he's the big guy. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, that's kind of how I view the fear of the Lord. Amen. Yeah, we have to be careful with our language because I, I, I definitely see what you're saying. I have to really think through, you know, is this correct? Is it, is it correct to say I'm afraid to sin? Yes, I think so. Why am I afraid to sin? Is it because I'm afraid that God will condemn me to hell because I made a mistake? Or is it that I'm afraid to um, uh, defame his name and dishonor him and, you know, um, violate the beautiful friendship that I have with the living God and, and um, you know, bring his name low because I misrepresented him. That That's the kind of afraid or, or you know, it's not just the consequences of my sin I'm afraid of, but I think that can play a role in it for sure. You know, to fear the Lord is to be mindful of the fact that, hey, there are consequences to rebel against him. There are consequences when you operate outside of his word. And I I should be um, have a healthy fear of those consequences to not do that. Um, all these different ways of saying it's almost like you're just putting up all these different um, protective measures to keep yourself from sinning. You know, sometimes oh. it's this. Um, I don't know. It's a, it's it's an awareness of God's love that keeps me from sin. It's a it's a desire to honor His name. Sometimes it's a it's it's a reverence for who he is and what he's done for me and a thankfulness. Why would I ever return, you know, such a fantastic gift with this kind of behavior, you know? So it's um yeah. it's on us but, to have all different protective measures up as we is, can. Sorry. I'm sorry, it keeps on cutting out. I couldn't tell if you were saying Go ahead. <clears throat> Okay, um but is it is it God punishing us or for those sins or is it sin has its own consequence like it that's what i was like Mm. is it god punishing us or is it the sin that we are being disobedient that it comes with the punishment because we're choosing to walk in it it has its own consequence we are the one choosing to walk in it and so we're almost like setting ourselves up for the consequence of that sin Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean Sure, sure. You know, if my son disobeys me and runs into the road and gets hit by a car, you know, God forbid, I didn't inflict the punishment on him. That's just the consequences of operating outside of relationship with me and violating my word. But God sees the consequences, though it's not punishment. I think that's the the distinction Mm -hmm. that needs to be made is children of God aren't punished. We aren't Mm -hmm. We aren't condemned. There's no penalty for sin. There are consequences that God utilizes in our discipline, that God utilizes in our correction. 
Um, but that is not condemning or punishing as if to shame you and, and, and uh, you know, if you're a dog putting your nose and in, in the turd you dropped on the lawn, this is God saying, hey, this is what happens when you violate. It's, it's a part of the natural order of things to have wired the universe. But I've included that in um, the discipline and training and correction I'm bringing you. It's always to bring us back, you know, keep mm-hmm. us close. So um, hopefully that answers your question a bit. I have one last thing and then I'll stop. <laughs> okay. So I was praying about it one time because I used to go and like debate. <laughs> and um, one of the ones that would come up would be the story uh, in the Bible where it was the two she bears that mauled the 40 or killed like the, that they were mocking prophet Alicia. And there were two she bears that were, like was it i think he cursed them and then there were two she bears that came after these kids they say but we were talking about this the other day but i was saying and i don't think you were here jason i was saying do you think that it's possible that um they knew what they were doing was disobeying god's law or they were disobeying it says do not touch down you know my anointed or you know the there was something about his prophets. You just don't mess with them. And um, so their consequence was those bears. And so many people are like, they're so angry at God for allowing some bears to maul some kids. And I'm like, those kids were taught the Torah from like young and growing up. They knew better. And they deliberately disobeyed what God told them not to do. They did. And so they didn't know what would happen. But it did say it came with consequence. So this is what I was saying is, is it possible that sometimes when we act out of disobedience or just rebellion, that we literally step out of the protection of the Father and of Jesus and Holy Spirit, and we step out into almost like danger zone. And it says that the enemy is waiting for an opportunity to pounce on us. And we literally are stepping out and it's, we're stepping out of that protection. And I believe, and it's just my belief, I guess, that those she bears may have come from the enemy. Um, can I, can I speak to this? You cut out a little bit, Shauna. Hold on one sec, Josh. I want to make sure she finished. <clears throat> are you there, Shauna? Can you hear me? Sorry. <laughs> You cut out at the very end. So just repeat that last little bit. I I said, you heard the part where I said, I believe. You said, I believe, and then cut oh, out. That, that they, that that was the consequence, that they were basically um, set themselves up to be attacked by the enemy because they literally disobeyed God and his law and were attacking his prophet. It's an interesting take I've never thought through. I don't have an immediate answer, but Joshua wants to speak to this, so I'm going to let him, and then we'll close up for the night. Hopefully we'll get you some kind of an answer, or at least something to think about. Yeah, we're we're sort of digressing, but it's I guess it's still very much on topic to um, verses 1, 2, and 3, but it, it really makes, I sort of shared a part of this in, in the chat, but it makes me think of the comparison between Saul and King David. So 
Saul, he gets the kingdom taken away from him. His King Saul, Old Testament, taken away from him after he was, so he was commanded to uh, do a burnt offering once the prophet Samuel arrived. Well, he didn't do the offering, or he did the offering early because the people were starting to scatter away. And um, he just sort of started to panic instead of following the Lord's direct instruction. And um, and then you see the kingdom gets taken from him and given to someone who um, commits adultery and then has someone has the husband murdered to try to cover it up and he does not get the kingdom stripped away from him. And there's a bunch of other things that go into it as well. But the main thing is, and Saul did it a second time as well, is um, he had direct instructions, wipe these people all out and he compromised. He said, no, Oh, I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to take the king hostage and I'm going to take these, the um, better things and sacrifice them to the Lord, supposedly. At least that's what he said he was going to do with them. And Saul tells him, had the Lord, the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as obeying the voice of the Lord. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. So we have the sacrifice, but it, it, is our heart for him or is our heart against him? Like you, we can't be lukewarm and be like, okay, I'm going to obey you. Well, it's convenient. And then just do my thing my way when I want something. Like it's so when in that verse I shared in the chat, Saul says, I have sinned. And in the same breath, he says he wants to worship God. But in the same breath, he says, Yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel. So we confess our sins before him, but does that really do us good when we are still sinning? Like, intentionally? When, like, I think repentance comes down, you know, it's it's not following a set of rules. Do this, this, and this. Don't do this, this, and this. It's you're for me or you're against me. Um, you love me. You're going to keep my commandments. Like, that's going to be your desire. You're going to want to live for him. And you're going to see that it's a delight to live in his ways and that eventually you're going to find out that sin is only going to grieve you. And it's going to grieve his spirit. You're... It, um. Yeah, I, I I did it for a long, long time for like over a year. Kept going back to the same sin, and um, we we gotta reckon ourselves dead to sin. Like we have to finally come to a point. I'm done with it. Like I don't want to live this way anymore. Help me, Lord, and put our trust in Him. Like, he will help us. He will send the helper who will remind us of his word, who will help us walk in the way. He will tell us the way we will go, and it's all for our benefit. Like, he's he's not trying to 
be a hard person. He's trying to help us. And um, his way is just so much better. And I, I just pray we, we really see that because he is very merciful and very, very long-suffering. Um, and it's so easy to just take advantage of that. that but um, I, I just want to give the encouragement, say, you know, I'm, I'm on the Lord's side. And, and I don't know about those kids, why, why what happened to them. I mean, you have, you have the guy who, who uh, him and his wife said they sold, the, sold their plot of land for this much, and they sold it for that much, and they just dropped dead because they lied about it. Um, I don't know. Some people get made an example out of, and I don't know. Just don't, don't mess with God. <laughs> he's, he's loving, and he's merciful, but it's like Paul says, um, Note his kindness, but also note the severity. Um, but it's like it's like Peter said, like, where else would we go? You you have the words of eternal life, and it's abundant life, and that abundant life starts here and now on this earth. And um, I wouldn't trade it in for anything. I'm sorry if I went long. I I didn't mean to. No, you're good. There's some good things to chew on and think through as we end tonight. And um, wonderful truths to meditate on as we sleep, as we wake up, as we fall asleep, all these things. David actually falls asleep a lot of times or wakes up in the middle of the night meditating on the word of God and the law. So I would love to see more believers doing that, including myself. Well, guys, that's tonight's study. We're making note. We ended on verse 3 officially, so we'll pick it up in verse 4, even though we did read it. We'll actually clarify a few things and talk through those. Um, Man, you guys can invite people to this study. We'd love to see more faces, see more people getting involved in in reading the Word together. And uh, would someone like to pray for us as we end our time together? Who would like to pray? Hey, who would like to pray? Woo, buddy, gonna do it. Okay, dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for this day. Thank you that we come to seek your truth, that we remove ourselves from this in order that your wisdom and your understanding, your insight shall enrich us, that the dross of ourselves get removed. I pray that we continue to keep seeking you in our ways personally and together as the body of Christ. I pray that you continue to just ministering to all of us and all of our questions, that we are able to be present to help speak what you want to help one another, that we encourage each other and bear each other's burdens. I pray that we never lean on to our own understanding or our, our brothers or anybody else's, the world, but we only lean on to yours, that anything and everything that we get in this world always leads us back to you in your word. Thank you, Father, for this time, and in your precious name I pray. Amen.